Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back, everyone. This is, of course, Real Estate Coaching Radio. I want to welcome the thousands of you that are discovering us uh, every single day. This is the time of year where we typically have a lot of new listeners um, find the podcast. Most of you guys find the podcast from just doing a little light searching on um, maybe on iTunes or on YouTube or you know even Google, and you you know you'll find us that way. And other times, I know you're a lot you're finding us because iTunes is suggesting that you guys listen to our podcast based on your other podcasts that you listen to. So here's one of the things that uh, we would love for you to do to help us out. If you guys could give us a five-star review on iTunes, and if you're listening to us on YouTube, do uh, subscribe to the channel. That does actually help to notify the algorithms that, hey, Tim and Julie's uh, Real Estate Coaching Radio is worth listening to, and maybe you should listen to it as well. So we'd certainly appreciate you giving us a five-star review on iTunes, wherever your podcast listening widget is. Um, and also, if you're listening to us on YouTube, which a lot of you are discovering our YouTube channel, uh, also there you might want to subscribe, and we certainly appreciate it. So Julie and I are picking up where we left off yesterday and the day before. Yes. And the day before, I think. I think so. Yeah. Where we're talking about the 10 biggest agent regrets. But before we get to the next point, Julie, which is point number seven. Yes. Uh, you correct. said you just got off a, a string of coaching calls. Yes. Some with, interesting stuff. With one of some of our elite coaching clients who are coached by you personally, mm-hmm. many of which have been coached by you personally for decades, basically. A long time. Right. So, and you said you had some stories you wanted to share. Yes. Well, I would say for sure the overriding theme, and several of them have said, it seems like it's 2020 all over again, to which you might say, well, what does that mean? Really low inventory, even lower inventory. Okay. Uh, open houses are absolutely slammed, killing it, dripping with new buyer and more importantly, seller leads. So choose your open houses wisely. That's absolutely working. And, you know, uh, pretty much everybody I spoke with today has a goal of doing more, of course, but they all these guys are doing more than a million GCI. Right. Okay? So, that, so here's the question. How does an agent who is very experienced, been around the block, has lots of active spokes going, knows what they're doing, okay, how does an agent that's used to doing around a million or more GCI, and some of them are well more than that, how do they move the needle? Especially when they are running out of inventory and things are a little bit starved. Well, so, of course, when you are the listing agent, you win every time. But the discussion is, okay, great, keep doing what you're doing because that isn't terrible. That's fantastic. Most agents would die to do that kind of income. But in order to get more to move the needle, you have to do not just more, but different things than you've always done. So here's a secondary way of thinking about that too. So you could increase, if you want to, in normal business, if you want to increase, you know, obviously uh, sales or, or the rest of it, you obviously have to spend more money. You have to work harder, generate more leads. You have to push through more transactions. And traditionally in real estate, we, the industry, and I want to all of you, especially those of you who've been in the industry, well, really everyone, really, mm-hmm. this is a fascinating thing. It's always been interesting to me in real estate. Not so much in other businesses, honestly, but in real estate, there is never any focus on net. So if you're in, yeah. if you're at a point where in your uh, business where you're um, really feeling like you have a very smoothly functioning real estate practice or any business in general, and you want to figure out where to drive the most uh, benefit to you, then figure out how to increase your net. 
And so you can either increase sales uh, and, or you can increase, um, obviously, the net profit. And oftentimes, because of the sort of hacks that come from uh, being in a very uh, almost seductive seller's market, right? True. The cash flow uh, will essentially make it so that mistakes that you are making are not as obvious. And the only time you really know that you're making those mistakes is when the cash flow slows down. In other words, when there's some sort of COVID or you know housing crash or something else happens and the black swan events have gotten you know all too frequent as I'm sure everyone will agree. So the moral of the story is don't wait for the bad news or you know the the headwinds to the winds to change and become a headwind before you start looking at your expenses and start driving more profit. And this if you're true. really wanting to make a significant difference in your business and your personal life really you definitely want to be focusing on driving more profit. And that's one of the things we focus on in our coaching business. And our coaching business, I think it's rule number four in our book, Harris mm -hmm. Rules, which you guys can get on Amazon and everywhere else. I think rule number four is product. Uh, your product is profit. It's not, you know, look, I'm not, Julie and I are not taking a stance that it's not happy customers or more sold homes or all the rest of it. But ultimately, it's profit because it's with that profit that you reinvest into things like real estate. I was just talking to Chris McGee this morning, Julie. Mm -hmm. And you and I are interested in buying a, uh, a series of multifamilies over the next right. few years, right? Mm -hmm. We want to increase our rental holdings because of the fact that we want to produce more uh, passive income with the profit from our other businesses. Mm -hmm. And that's what all of you guys should be doing. And if, But if you're not running a profitable business because you're spending all of your money buying your business or you're sending all your business to essentially subsidize buyer agents and all the rest of it, you will have no profit. You will have no uh, cash flow to then reinvest and create passive income for yourself. And you will be on the transaction. Uh, you know, Hamster wheel. forever and ever and ever and ever. That's true. So it's it's being profitable in the first place. I think that that's part of business maturity. But then it's understanding where that came from, understanding your numbers. I mean, some of these guys, when, when we look at a profit and loss, it's like it takes months to wade through because they're, quote, trying out everything that was thrown at them in their email and they lose track until they Break out their visa statement, right? And the, and the only reason you guys are doing that is because you have enough, many of you have enough money, uh, you know, your transactions are happening quick enough with enough velocity that you give yourself uh, excuses to frankly try things out or waste money on things, which it really is, to see if it might be able to increase your brand. And that's when you guys start being, again, I'm going to use the word seduced, by the branding, by the marketing, by the ego crap. Oh, so-and-so's got so many followers or likes on YouTube. Let me tell you guys something about all that. It is all often faked. Um, and I, I've studied this over the holiday break when we were in North Carolina mm -hmm. because I didn't understand how you could, I understood how you could buy followers on Instagram because I've seen people do that. I've even understood how you could do other things that are sort of just simulating the appearance of uh, influence. But I didn't know how you could do it on YouTube. Well, it turns out, and we're not doing this, by the way, and we won't do this. You can buy subscribers and you can buy views on YouTube. So if you're in a competitive situation for a listing appointment and you're dealing with one of these agents that likes to you know, fling around fairy tales of basically about social media selling houses, which it absolutely does not, and you're trying, and they're using the number of influencers and followers and all of that. It's probably all faked, and it's all, probably all bought, uh, you know, perception of influence. The fake it until you make it thing has gotten to a level that I don't think anybody would rationally That's have ever crazy. assumed it have gotten to. It's That's incredible. Crazy. Well, so let me contrast that with what would be a smart, efficient decision. For example, one of the people that I was talking to today typically does work with builders and they have new construction, they'll list a subdivision. However, the price range that they've been doing it in is producing mostly first-time buyers, 350 to 450. So what they're doing to increase their profitability to, yes, do more transactions, but also have a higher net at the same time, 
is they have had a series of builders come to them and want to do spec homes that are all in higher price ranges. Well, what happens when you list a house for 900000 That's not a first-time buyer house. The Mm-mm. person going there is moving up from, from probably a five hundred to seven fifty house. So it's not just about listing that for the builder. It's also about getting the resale as a result of having the listing. That is an efficient thing. That has nothing to do with buying business. Versus if you're listing houses that first-time home buyers want to purchase, chances are the people selling those houses are going to be your move-up clients. Yes. So if you list one house that's a first-time home buyer house, the probability, chances are you're going to get at least three deals from that one Correct. listing. You don't get that kind of sales velocity off working with buyers. How are you no. guys getting the point <laughs> of why you want to become listing agents? Yeah, well, I guess even more fun than that in the same conversation. But why three, right? Because yeah. that seller's going to sell. You might sell that house yourself to one of your buyers in this market you probably will so that might be two transactions but that seller is going to buy something else right so that might be three transactions or you could have that uh, seller buy one of your other listings you guys get the point but it all comes from listings versus if you have a buyer you're just hoping and praying that that listing agent qualify well the the (laughs) listing agents even going to want to you know consider your offer over that offer that they're maybe bringing themselves you know, so that's, right. that's the reality of it. Well, so another iteration of this in the same conversation, light bulb went off that uh, several builders have come to this agent saying, you know what, I'd love to be building spec homes right now because I know I can sell them, but I can't find any land. Mm-hmm. So they are now making it a special mission to find land because that's a fourth sale, right? So you sell the builder the land, you list the listing for the builder, you sell it yourself. That person has a house to sell and one thing leads to the next. Well, so land's an interesting thing because you and I did this when we sold real estate. Yes. Is that you can list subdivision lots if you find a builder that is, if it's not like a national builder, you can certainly do that. But one of the other cool things that will happen, it's happening in your market, I promise you, is infill lots or sometimes houses that were built in the 60s and 70s where they were uh, like five acre lots that if a builder's building patio homes, they could put in like, you know, a hundred patio homes on five acres, something crazy, realistically, probably like 25. Mm -hmm. But if you were to go and start searching for, in your market, I promise you, there's properties like this. And usually where there's this perfect nexus is where you have these areas that are very, that are not in a very expensive property tax area. So they're right outside of the expensive property tax area. But then what you're going to get is people downsizing from the property, uh, expensive property tax area into one of these other homes. And then you, again, have more sales velocities. But it all comes from being a listing agent. Now, how do you get the builder to do business with you if you bring them a lot? You say, I've got this big five-acre parcel, but we have to have an agreement that when you develop this property that I'm going to get the listings. It's really that simple. Yeah, and in today's market, the answer is going to be yes. Show, you know, let's do the deal. And if they monkey around with you, then bring take it, it to another. Somebody else. Just take it to another. This is what Julie and I did this, and it definitely worked. And so this is just, you know, by the way, these weren't our points of biggest regrets that agents have. <laughs> no. But but frankly, these are a lot of uh, points. And I, I think, you know, the one, the takeaway that I had from what you just said mm-hmm. is not knowing how to create their own inventory should have been another point. Well, yes. And, and so that, that was the overriding theme of all of these calls is – don't spend your time sitting around and praying that the spring market is going to save your butt and just rain inventory upon you. Well, there's varying degrees of the word proactive, right? Yes. So I, Julie and I will tell you that calling an unrepresented owner, a for sale by owner, that's being proactive. You doing something to generate the business is proactive. But taking proactive to the next level, it would be identifying a potential uh, property that's uh, available for redevelopment and then knowing how to actually bring potential builders to uh, redevelop that land. You don't have to do it. All you have to do is introduce the client. Make the don't, relationship. don't try to do it. Don't decide, oh, I found a property. Now I'm going to learn how to be a developer. Don't worry about that. 
you're going to make more money if you move, go from that project to the next project to the next project to the next project. Your job is to sell homes, not try to wear a bunch of different hats. I'm a home flipper. I'm a builder. I'm a rehab person. I'm a whatever, whatever. Nope. You're a real estate agent. Focus on becoming the best version of a real estate agent as you possibly can. That's where you're going to create the most sales velocity ultimately. But I would say the real takeaway from this little back and sure. forth would be the most important thing that you all have to accept and have this tattooed on your, you know, your profit part of your brain, which all of you have. Mm-hmm. Some of you, it needs to be developed more. It might be latent, right? Is that the product from your business is profit? The product from your business is yes. profit. Julie, what's the product for the, should be from their business? Profit, profit, right. profit. Because it's with that profit. Look, if you're just making enough money to have a nice lifestyle, congratulations. You've you essentially done what a lot of people can't do. But that is not good enough. Your the point of you being in the business is not just spend it all on boats and bikinis and, you know, private, whatever, right? The point of it is ultimately what you'll be most proud of yourself for having done is build a profitable business and then take that profit and start investing in things that will make you rich. And rich, I know, oh my gosh, Tim, that word has so many <laughs> taboos associated with it. No, it does not. Because rich is, near, is simply where your money works for you and you no longer have to work for your money. And if that means that you have to have $10,000 coming in passively per month, if you have 10000 coming in passively per month from rental properties that you didn't have to work for other than, other than just basically making sure the wire was the money was wired to you that month, you are by definition rich because you now have created income that is make that is no longer predicated on you You're having to transact, mm-hmm. right? You guys get it? That's the freedom that all of you want because if you really drill down on why you got into real estate in the first place, it wasn't the happy customers and the Instagrams and the TikToks and all the other Mickey Mouse. It was you wanted freedom, freedom of your time. But ultimately what you want is financial freedom because when you have financial freedom, everything on the other side of that is a billion X better than when you have to work for money. That's exactly it because the problem with being just transactional is that when you stop being transactional, so does your cash flow stop. So you might have a really kick-ass lifestyle right now, but if and when maybe the market changes on you or you decide to retire or you, heaven forbid, get sick or whatever, if you're only transactional, then that cash flow has ended. And then you find yourself having to sell whatever assets you might have built up or and or make other decisions that you wouldn't normally make. So that was a conversation that was not part of what we were going to no. present you guys today. <laughs> but it was because Julie's fired up from her coaching calls from her high-level clients. And some but, caffeine. Yes, and some <laughs> caffeine. And we're going to get to point number seven. Yes, and, biggest I'll, agent regrets. Go ahead. And point number seven, Julie? Okay. This is one that you see. You guys that are listening that are doing your deals, you see this a lot. Some of you fall into this trap. And that's called having to be right all the time. Lack of flexibility, being overly rigid, and not having versatility are all hazards to your income, your reputation, and your ability to achieve your dreams. Arguing with clients or prospects about price and commission because you don't have a good objection handler or killing a deal due to lack of versatility are all manifestations of having to be right. So how do you fix that? You know, Julie, they were going to list the house with me, mm-hmm. uh, but they wouldn't pay. They wouldn't take my price. Right. Or your commission. They wouldn't take. No, whatever. no. Julie, your they price. wanted to overprice it and they yep. wouldn't take my price. Yeah. And, and I. so what happens? Well, you didn't get the listing and your competitor I walked did. away. You walked away. And you want to celebrate the fact that your ego was so more critical to you to be right and to tell that seller, no, you rejected a seller because they told you a higher price. That means you didn't get paid. You could have taken you got that. nothing. 
even if you sometimes you do have to take listings over price, especially in this market, and you just did not know how to deal with that relationship with that seller in the event that you did take that listing. No, we are not saying lie to the seller, yep. but we are saying know how to professionally accept the seller's terms and conditions, but put limitations on it. And that's what coaching is all about. That's right. right. I did not take that listing because they were not willing to pay my commission. I did not take that listing because they were not willing to do this or all the other Mickey Mouse things that you guys put. Oh, I got into a conflict with a seller or another agent or any human, right? Mm -hmm. Over politics, over COVID, over masking. Yeah. You know, you this is all silliness that uh, will cost you guys your business in your financial future and your ability to uh, one day be financially free. Yeah. And it's even worse because sometimes when you guys get wound up in all that ego conversation and there are many varieties that you hit the most of them and then you go post on your social media about it Yeah, exactly. and then your next listing Googles you and they cancel your appointment and you don't know why. So having to be right all the time is definitely a big regret. Now, how do you fix that? Two bullet points I wrote down. One is ask questions more than you make statements. When you understand all sides of the situation, all motivations from each side, you'll be a better strategist. Use the phrase, help me understand, and make sure you listen to the answers. Next, the definition of negotiating is not to be the winner, to make the other side feel pain, or to prove your point. Negotiating is the result of each side coming to an acceptable agreement, which allows the transaction to move forward. Again, a, a manifestation of ego oftentimes when they negotiate. Well, that also is a manifestation of, or not even a manifestation, it's a sign of uh, lack of experience. That's true. And ego, really, it is is, true. at the end of the day. So again, Julia's stance and what she's suggesting to all of you guys, and you, th here's the thing, you, a lot of us, fall into the uh, behavioral pattern of wanting, it's difficult, I mean, for all of us. When you, for example, you're talking to somebody who's telling you one plus one equals five, one plus one equals five, one plus one equals five, you know, you're for a lot of your life going to argue with them because you know they're just dumb and they're just, or they're not understanding it or they're not, they're just trying to, whatever, whatever, whatever. They just don't know that one plus one equals two, right? But you will get to a point in your life where you're just going to hear somebody say one plus one equals five and you're just going to smile. You don't have to react. You don't have to make them, uh, you don't have to try to essentially educate them or coach them or dominate them. You just smile. You don't have to react. Yeah. When you get to that point, where you can essentially just be an observer of the world around you, opposed to having to be an active player, you know, like you know, video game in the world, you're going to find yourself to be a much happier person. Uh, and the, here's the thing you look out for. I'll give you guys a little coaching here. So uh, this happens mostly with men, truthfully. But when you start to feel, how do you know what to look for? Like when you know this point about being right all the time, the sub point, or maybe even the macro point is ego, right? Mm -hmm. How do you know your ego is going to, uh, is boiling up inside of you? And how, generally speaking, the next result from that ego outpour is going to be something non-desirous. In other words, you're going to say something, do something. You're going to have uh, the breaking of a potential relationship, something you're going to most likely regret sometime in the future. You're about to react somehow. Exactly. And most of us go from reaction to reaction to reaction. We just go from uh, what's the news? How's it making me feel? How's my dog make me feel? How's my this make me feel? That make me feel? I got to go check the email. I got to go check social networking. I'm going to flip through pictures on Instagram. All these things are essentially you being um, uh, unconscious. You're not even aware. You're not even awake. You're not even being... Oh, uh, observant of your feelings and your emotional state. So look for the feeling that you have inside of you and start being observant of it. And it's way too, I mean, frankly, it's, uh, I can't convey this to you guys on a, a podcast, but just monitor how you feel because your feeling 
and is going to be a barometer of whether or not your ego is about to essentially, or frankly, your ego is in the driver's seat. Are you feeling aggressive? Are you feeling defensive? Sometimes uh, you'll feel the actual physiological reaction to an affront to your ego. Your ego is wanting to basically put the dukes up, right? Uh, right in the stomach's, you know, mid-torso area. You physically feel the reaction. You'll feel the reaction. And then you, once you, the first time you choose to react or not react, when you feel that physiological boiling up, that's when you become in control of it. And that's when you can stop trying to be right. Yes, and this is why our coaches always coach all of you guys that when you have that and you sense it's happening, which is the hardest part is to stop yourself, right? Yep. To not call that prospect, client, or agent back immediately, to perhaps even hang up the phone if it's happening on the phone, to wait 30 minutes, to take a breath, to write it out, to ask better questions, to understand at a, at a better level so that you don't just, you know, go with your ego reaction. Because it's almost always wrong. Your re- and again, this is mostly for men, but it's also true for women in a different way. Mm-hmm. Men will react uh, subconsciously when they're in contact with another big ego male. <laughs> so if there's, if there's another big ego male that's around them, that's peacocking, that's, you know, flexing, that's trying to basically get uh, attention or trying to dominate conversations or just basically what will happen is subconsciously your ego is going to start firing off and wanting to duke it out and do battle with that person verbally and hopefully not physically. And so if you can then stop yourself from reacting that way and just observe this person sort of in this, uh, you know, emotional physiological ego spiral, just observe them, observe how they're not even, they're just reacting. They're not even thinking consciously. You don't have to participate with them in that spiral. No, but you can observe and you don't even have to, you you don't have to go in there and be right. You don't have to go in there and try to make your point. And that is especially true online. And the best way, frankly, to to shelter yourself from all this and shelter is not the right word. Um, is to just not participate in the first place. Don't go to the places that trigger you. Don't watch the stuff that triggers you. Don't read the stuff that triggers you. It's not in the reason is, is because over not very much time, you will start becoming more in control of your mental and emotional state. And when you do, you're finally going to understand really the true importance of mindset. Because if you are, uh, I would say, inundating yourself, saturating yourself with things that trigger your ego and cause you to have an involuntary physiological reaction. If you can, that is occupying all of the potential, uh, really that's the word, it's it's sucking up all the potential that you have in that moment to have actually had a, a, a purifying thought or having taken the actions that would have led to something miraculous, you know, two minutes or two years or 20 years down the road, because you're so embroiled with the moment in your ego and all this, really this insanity that we're all surrounded with. Hopefully I've I well, explained that as best I could. Yes. And I have a special request for those of you who are grizzled veterans who have done your hundreds or thousands of transactions. Most of you have grown into understanding this, but occasionally I see this with agents or it'll come out on a Facebook Live or something. Some of the more experienced agents are, and I think that this is is a result of the market being kind of tough right now in terms of, you know, everybody negotiating with each other. Sometimes the grizzled veteran will be a bit abusive to a newbie, you know, and they'll, they'll be all about, well, I've been in the business 25 years longer than you. Well, you're not helping that newbie learn anything. You've got to set the example. But let's be honest, because you and I, we, we see it from both sides. We do. Anytime you see a grizzled veteran reacting like that, it's because they're threatened by the newbie. That's true. And it's because the they mar- don't realize it necessarily. But and, Exactly. And because they think I've been in the business long enough, I should have some kind of, you know, I have some deference, kind of sir. deference or you should be somehow I've arrived or no, you haven't. That's the thing about real estate, especially if you're just doing it transactionally, you're not building wealth. 
is you are no different in most consumers' minds than the person who just got the real estate license. And you might be at a disadvantage if you're a big egotistical mess, even though you've done a bunch of real estate transactions. I'm going to say that again. The blessing and the curse of being in real estate is most consumers do not differentiate one agent from the other. Agents do not have clearly defined USPs. And I got news for you. The amount of followers you have on Instagram is not a USP. The ultimate USP you have is somebody who has proven your ability to help solve other people's problems long-term, consistently, no matter what the market conditions are. And you cannot fake that. That's right. So one more example, and we'll wrap because I've got to get to a Zoom. Yes, ma'am. An example of a newer agent who thought things through and basically defeated his competition. This was uh, a team member of one of my coaching clients. Newer agent, pretty fairly freshly licensed, was competing on a buyer side, okay, and did not bring in the highest offer. I think there were eight or seven or eight other offers. Instead, he asked lots of questions. He found out why the seller was selling, what were their hot buttons. They were moving to be closer to family. Well, it just so turns out that his buyer was also moving into that town to be more with family. So they found a bonding moment. He actually came in $20,000 less than the highest offer. They won because he asked good questions and he gave the seller what they wanted. We have That was a newbie, by the way. We have three, and that was, I think, Lance Kenmore, right? Close, but no. It was no. a call before him. <laughs> okay. So we have uh, three more points that we'll get to tomorrow. Yes. And so you guys listen in. Hopefully, you're understanding that you over the overarching theme that we're hopefully you're taking from our <laughs> podcast is you are in the right place at the right time as long as you do take the right actions. Yes. It is. This is a shockingly simple business to fail out of. <laughs> And, you know, it just is. And it's never been easier to fail in real estate. Never been easier. Statistically, it what we're telling you is the truth. There are tens of thousands of people that get into real estate every single year. And there's tens of thousands that fail out of real estate. Most of you will fail out of real estate within 24 months. Those who make it past 24 months will fail out of the real estate by five years. In this, in an era where there's wall-to-wall ways to buy leads, to do branding, to do all the social networking, do all the marketing, and all the CRMs. Put the pieces together, firm the neural pathways. If that stuff worked to keep people in business, to make real estate agents successful, why have we seen a dramatic increase in the number of agents who are failing? Because agents are not taking the time to learn the skills, be essentially business-minded where they realize their product is profit and where they're not learning how to be proactive lead generators. And hopefully this all makes sense to you guys. In the meantime, please do remember to give us a five-star review um, on uh, iTunes, whatever your podcast listening widget is. If you're listening to us on YouTube, please do consider giving us or uh, subscribing and uh, giving us some nice comments. We certainly appreciate your support. And uh, guys, listen, this is going to be your best year ever, and it's going to be the start of many, many best years following, provided you choose to take that approach. Everything, no matter what's happening, the interest rates, the economy, inflation, deflation, who the president is, um, I mean, look, <laughs> we laugh because, you know, in the past, what, two years, we've had a pandemic and we've had the government basically admitting that we're getting uh, visited by aliens. OK, so if you're yeah. waiting for another shoe to drop, they've all dropped. They're uh, on the floor. Another pandi- Wait a minute. That was the original pandemic. Okay. That's right. We've I had four, I think four <laughs> or five. So and, and if you've been in the business long enough, you've lived through a housing crash. Now we're going to live through other changes and other things. You can do it. Stop looking for excuses not to triple down on your potential. Stop thinking that this business is, you know, anything other than the blessing that it is. In the meantime, if you guys need us forever, anything, uh, any ideas or uh, any feedback, or if you want to talk to Julie and I about joining us at EXP Realty, please do text me directly at 512-758-0206. Don't call, text. I will not answer the phone if you call. 
text 512-758-0206. Thanks. Have a fantastic day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.